Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 20. Hear now the word of our God from Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. This is the word of the Lord. We've been working our way through book one of the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms are divided into five books sort of like the five books of Moses, and in fact, I suspect that's an intentional connection. But here you might call it the the five books of David. And as we're going through Psalms 1 through 41, book 1 of the Psalms, we've seen, and this is partly why we sang Psalm 1 at the beginning of the service today, because Psalms 1 and 2 function as the introduction to book 1 and to the whole book of Psalms. And Psalm 1 is the song of the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but who delights in the law, in the Torah of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 2 is then the song of the king, the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. Psalm 1 opens, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 2 ends, blessed are all who take refuge in the Son, in the Messiah. And when you read Psalms 1 and 2 together, you quickly realize that the blessed man of Psalm 1 is the one who became the exalted son of Psalm 2. And so we are blessed when we take refuge in Jesus, the blessed man, the blessed son, the the Lord's Messiah. And then as we've seen over the last few months, Psalms 3 through 18 are largely Psalms of Refuge. There are lots of different themes and pictures that we've seen, but the the recurring picture that came over and over again is God, our rock, our refuge, and our fortress. Many of the Psalms we've seen have been connected to particular events in the life of David, and it all culminated a couple weeks ago in Psalm 18, uh, which is titled, A Psalm of David, the Servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, Psalms 18 and 19 then return to that opening theme in Psalms 1 and 2 between the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed, and the law of the Lord, the Torah. And as we we saw over the last couple weeks, when you're rightly connected to the Lord's Messiah, then you are rightly related to the Lord's law. And that theme of what God has done in Jesus, connecting, basically turning us from what we once were into his people, will now become the central focus over the next few weeks as this will, in Psalms 20 through 25, this theme will just continue to be played out here 
at the heart of book one. Because it's just worth noting, we are now at the heart of book one of the Psalms. This is the central part portion of the book, and this is not surprisingly the central message of book one of the Psalms. The cent- and so it, you you won't be surprised to hear that Psalm, you know, think of Psalm 22, which which actually since. I'm likely to be out of town next weekend. Okay, so now it'll be Psalm 22 on Easter Sunday. That's not bad either. But um, you know, but Psalm 22 with its with its My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 24, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? These these psalms that are that are very much at the heart of what Book One is doing. This is it's just very fitting that we are coming up to. Easter Sunday as we come to the heart and soul of book one of the Psalms. And in Psalm 20 particularly, we pray for the king because we know our only hope is if God saves the king. All, all through much of European history and even, even other, other cultures before that, you know, that God saved the king. I mean, that, 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 that's because if God doesn't save the king, we're dead. And if you think about who King Jesus is, that's just literally true. <laughs> if God doesn't save the king, we're dead. And if God hears him and answers him, then we are saved as well. I will never forget a pastor friend of mine, the first time he ever sang that psalm to that tune, he was, we were at a church in Pennsylvania, and he was literally bouncing beside me and afterwards whispered to me, it's like, that is, ex- I mean, we, 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 they nailed it. I mean, it's just like, just sort of the, the, that, that text and tune, just thinking about that, the way in which Jesus, Jesus is the king for whom we are asking God to say, to, we ask God to save him and he does what he promises. Well, our New Testament lesson comes from John, the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 18, verse 28. We'll be spending a fair amount of time in our New Testament lessons uh, in the sort of, you might say, the, the Good Friday Easter story, partly because, well, it really connects well with our Old Testament lesson, but uh, the Psalms in this section of the Psalter connect with this story in all sorts of ways. So hear now the word of our God from John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. In Psalm 20, we pray for the king because we know that our only hope is if God saves the king. If God hears him and answers him, then we will be saved as well. And in John 18 and 19, Jesus acknowledges that he is a king, but my kingdom is not of this world, not from this world. Jesus is the son of David. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the king of Psalm 20. It is only if God hears Jesus that we can be saved. Pilate thinks that he's just annoying the priests by writing king of the Jews, but they say, We have no king but Caesar. And in so doing, they reject the message of Psalm 20. Our only hope is if God saves the king. Our only if God hears him and answers him, can we be saved? Now, Psalm 20 has a a lot of verbal parallels to Psalm 18. Uh, 
couple weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 18, we heard a lot of the same language used. Uh, in, if you look at Psalm 20, in verse 1, may the Lord answer you. Well, that was the same word used in Psalm 18 where the Lord's answer made David great. Uh, the day of trouble in verse 1 connects to David's troubles in Psalm 18, verse 6. We pray that the Lord will sustain the king, verse 2, just as the Lord sustained David in Psalm 18, verse 35. And we say that the name of the God of Jacob will protect the king, just as David made music to the name of the Lord. Now, there's a bunch more, actually. I won't list them all. But the point is that Psalm 20 is inviting you to pray for the king and ask God to do for his anointed what he did for David. That's actually, it's, it's important to see that Psalm 20, it is a psalm of David. That means the first person singular voice of the psalm is the voice of David. But here, David is, is, is calling on Israel to pray for David's son, to pray for the one who will come and ask God to do what he has promised for his anointed one. In verses 1 to 5, we we pray for the king. There are seven petitions in these five verses. The first four asking that God would answer the king. And then the next focusing on our celebration when God does answer the king. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now it's important to say because in English... In English, we just have this word you. Is it singular? Is it plural? It's, It's singular. May the Lord answer you singular in the day of trouble. May he send you singular help from the sanctuary. May we, plural, shout for joy over your singular salvation. Israel is is speaking to the king, the Lord's anointed, praying for the king. The picture here is of, of Israel gathered around the Davidic king as he's preparing to lead them forth into battle. In fact, it's possible that that was a regular use of this song when they would you know, praying for the king as he would go forth in the battle. Actually, in Second Chronicles 20, when the Moabites and the Ammonites are coming against King Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and so he called for a day of fasting, and, and all Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And we have Jehoshaphat's prayer in Second Chronicles 20, where he prays and asks God to do something very much like what Psalm 20 is talking about. And he asks, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Jehoshaphat is paraphrasing his ancestor Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, saying, Yes, we, when, we, when trouble comes, we will come to the Lord and cry out, Have mercy, O God, will you not execute judgment on them? The king, Jehoshaphat, is doing what God called the king to do. If the Lord's anointed, prays to the Lord before his holy temple, and trusts in the Lord, rather than trusting in horses and chariots, then God will answer his prayer. Whether they sang Psalm 20 that day, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it would have fit perfectly as Israel would sing, asking God, God save the king. 
May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Okay, so what is the day of trouble? Jehoshaphat gives us a good example. The day of trouble is when enemies are attacking. Moabites and Ammonites are coming. Okay. When was the last time the Moabites and the Ammonites came for you? It's not as far-fetched as it sounds. Because what is the day of trouble for the king? Well, our king, who's our king? Yeah. What's the day of trouble for Jesus? Now, we could go to... John 18 and 19, when he was crucified. But when else is Jesus in trouble? That may seem like an odd question. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. All his troubles are over, right? Is that what he says? What did Jesus say to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Mm -mm, mm -mm. Nope, not what he said. Why are you persecuting me? The Ammonites and the Moabites come for you. When you are enduring the persecution of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Moabites and the Ammonites have come for you. And when they come for you, Jesus says they're coming for him. Saul said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The day of trouble for Jesus is any day that his people are suffering. The connection between Christ, the Lord's anointed, and his people are such that when we suffer, he suffers. Now, let's be clear. He already suffered for our sins. He doesn't need to do that again. But when we endure hardship for Christ's sake, that is the day of trouble for you. And because you have been joined to Christ, therefore that is the day of trouble for Christ. Jesus, the Lord's anointed, is the king who goes to battle for you even now. And the second line adds, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. God's name protects the king. Now, in Jehoshaphat's day, Israel had fallible kings. Jehoshaphat was a good one. And in 2 Chronicles 20, God saved him and delivered Judah. But because of the sins of the house of David, by the time you go a little further into the time of the prophet Jeremiah, God even says, I will no longer hear the prayers of the king. The house of David had failed to produce a a never-ending line of faithful kings. But God will always hear Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God who came as the Son of David so that the name of God would forever protect Him. Again, we've got to keep that, that you singular here. The name of God protects Jesus. Why is that important for us? Because we're connected to Jesus. When we're rightly connected to the Lord's anointed, we are rightly connected to the Lord's law. Verse 2 then focuses the attention on the temple and the sacrifice. May he send help from the sanctuary and give you support in Zion. In the days of David, the Ark of the Covenant had been brought to Zion. David had begun the preparations for the building of the temple. And the sanctuary, the holy place, is the place where God meets with his people. 
It is also the place of offering and sacrifice. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. The king was was not the one who slaughtered the offerings himself. When King Saul did that, it did not end well for him. But we need a king whose offerings and sacrifices are accepted by God. And so the prayer of Psalm 20 was answered when our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Augustine says it well. May God remember all you sacrificed, Lord Jesus, and make us mindful of all the tortures and insults you bore for our sake. May God turn into resurrection joy that cross on which you were offered up in your entirety to God. Because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I am joined to the life of Jesus, then I am joined to Him in His death and resurrection. And we rejoice that God has saved our King. And and again, there's both rejoicing in verses 4 and 5 that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus has won the victory. But we still live in the middle of the day of trouble. We do not yet see everything in subjection under Jesus' feet. But we see Jesus. And so we pray that God would grant to Jesus your heart's desire, that God would fulfill all of Jesus' plans. Does that, I mean, how, do you ever pray that God would fulfill Jesus' desires? I hope so. Because here we're saying, may God grant you, Lord Jesus, your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Who's Whose desires do you pray for? Our shorter catechism says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. And it is. But what is your desire? What is it that you want? In a few weeks, we'll come to Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4 was my dad's favorite verse. And he used to say that if you delight in the Lord, then your heart's desire is to be with Him. And so if you delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart because your desire is Him. What you most long for is God Himself. If you think about it, apart from that, my heart's desires, well... What are my heart's desires? My heart's desires oftentimes stray away from that. That's not good. But when my, I delight in the Lord, when I seek to know Him, when I keep Him ever before me, then we pray that God would give to Jesus His heart's desire because that becomes the desire of our hearts that we would see Him and know Him. We often pray, Lord, give me what I want. But when you start to pray, Oh God, please give Jesus what He wants, it begins to change you. If I'm praying for what Jesus wants, then my heart's desire begins to be conformed to the desires of Jesus. And what is one of the very first things that Jesus wants? He wants you. He wants you to be with Him. He wants your desires to be conformed to His. And and so we, we set up our banners in the name of our God. 
setting up banners is what you do after the victory. Even think, think of the, the statue of the Marines on Iwo Jima raising the American flag. That you set up your banners to say, we're here. Not necessarily the war is over, but we're here. And pay attention to the importance of the name of our God. As in verse 1, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So now in verse 5, it is in the name of our God that we set up our banners. We're not here to set up banners for ourselves in our kingdom. We're here to set up banners for the kingdom of Jesus. And so we rejoice that God has saved our king. Jesus has been delivered from death and raised up to the right hand of the Father. Augustine again says it well. We shall rejoice in your salvation. We rejoice that death will not harm you. For so you will show us that it will not harm us either. When my father-in-law died this last week, death did not harm him. Because the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and to immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Death does not harm us when we are united to Jesus, the one who triumphed over death. And so may the Lord grant all your requests, not only the petitions you offered on earth, but also those by which you intercede for us in heaven. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now in verse 6, the voice changes from the plural we to the singular I. Now then in verse 7, it goes back to was, oh, just this one verse. That's this first person singular. And when you, in the Psalms of David, when you get a first person singular, it's the voice of David, the voice of the Lord's anointed. Now, the oddity here is that the Lord's anointed is still referred to in the third person. Now, I know the Lord saves his anointed. And so it might be a little bit perplexing at first. Like, uh, wait, so who's the I? Well, there's a couple times in the Psalms where David seems to address the Lord's, or refer to the Lord's anointed in the third person. Psalm 110 is the most famous one. David says, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, Jesus tells us how we should think about this. And I, so I, I try not to disagree with Jesus, especially when I'm preaching. But Jesus says the first person singular is the voice of David. So if David says, I know that the Lord saves his anointed, that means David understands God's purpose was to do for his son, Psalm 20, what God had done for him. Psalm 18. Remember we saw in, this, in Psalm 18, God had rescued David. God had delivered David. God had done all these great things for David. Now, in Psalm 20, David is saying, I know the Lord saves his anointed. I myself, David seems to recognize, I'm not the one. In fact, Psalm 16, David dies. David is buried. David, David's body is still in the grave. But David had said that God will not allow me to see death. He will not. He, he, what did the, what, and Peter says on the day of Pentecost, David was a prophet. He understood. This is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And that means that David understands that God will do for his anointed, his Christ, what he had done for David. And 
The shift then to the, from the plural to the singular provides a stark contrast. And also there's a verb shift here from all the string of, may God do this, may God do that. Now the, there's this confidence, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. This is the confidence of the saints. The Lord saves his anointed. And because the Lord saves his Messiah, therefore we will be saved as well. And again, see the parallel between verse 2, where God sends help from sanctuary, from Zion, and verse 6, where God answers from his holy heaven. In verse 2, the sanctuary, Zion, was, has strong earthly connections, you might say. But here, David's really clear. The, the heavenly sanctuary is the source of salvation. Jehoshaphat prayed in the earthly temple, but the Lord answers from his holy heaven as he promised. There is a very real sense in which there's only one place where you can worship God. And it's not a place on earth. As Jesus says in John 4, the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you're not worshiping in the spirit and in truth, you're in the wrong place. But in whatever earthly place you may be, you can gather in the heavenly holy of holies. Indeed, as my friend Larry Wilson likes to say, when we gather in worship, we should, we should see as it with the eyes of faith the, the ceiling being pulled, pulled apart and as we ascend up into the heavenlies to gather with all the saints, to gather with our Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Because some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do we trust in the name of the Lord our God? Do we trust in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Which one is more powerful? Baptism or ballot boxes? Which one is more powerful? Prayer or political action? I'm not saying Christians shouldn't vote or shouldn't be politically active. David and his sons had chariots and horses. But do not trust in chariots and horses. David's sons got overran by those who had more chariots and horses. So do not trust in candidates or parties or elections. But put your trust in the name of the Lord. Because in your baptism, God put his name on you. Paul says in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, just as the anointed one, just as the Messiah, just as the guy from Psalm 20 was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you believe in the resurrection of the body, if you believe that you belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus, then why worry about increasing persecution? Some people seem to think that, that oh, Jesus suffered so that I don't have to. And that's true in terms of the eternal wrath and curse of God. But in terms of the persecution and suffering of this age, it would be better to say that Jesus passed through suffering and death to glory so that we might also pass through suffering and death to glory as well. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. As one old preacher said, 
we will rise upright as others are collapsing because our king is saved and arising from the dead he ascends into the heavens and as he sits at the right hand of God the Father he hears us in the day we call him think about verse 9 O Lord save the king may he answer us when we call Israel has such confidence in their king that they trust that he will answer when they call. The king is to be the mirror in which they see the image of God. The sons of David were the Lord's anointed who were called to deliver the people of God. And it's only if God saves the king that the king will be able to answer us. After all, if, if God had left Jesus in the grave, what would become of us? Psalm 20 teaches us to sing this together. Because God had not promised that his people would be saved in any other way, but by the hand and conduct of the king whom he gave them. As John Calvin puts it, in the present day when Christ is now manifested to us, let us learn to yield him this honor to renounce all hope of salvation from any other quarter and to trust to that salvation only which he shall bring to us from God his Father. And of this, we shall then only become partakers when being all gathered together into one body under the same head, we shall have mutual care one of another. And when none of us will have his attention so engrossed with his own advantage and individual interest as to be indifferent to the welfare and happiness of others. Because who's the main voice of Psalm 20? We. We sing and pray Psalm 20 together. That we are not concerned simply for our own advancement, our own interests, our own kingdoms, our own glory. We we sing this together. May the King answer us when we call. May Jesus answer us because the Father will always hear Jesus and Jesus has promised that he will always hear us. And because Jesus always hears us, therefore, when you see others in affliction, Comfort them by praying with them in the words of Psalm 20. When you see others in the midst of the day of trouble, come alongside them with the reminder that that God has heard Jesus. And because he hears Jesus, he hears us. Let us pray. Lord God, we, we give you all thanks and praise that you answered the Lord Jesus. You answered the Messiah, the Anointed One, in the day of trouble. And you have raised him up and seated him at your right hand in glory. And now we pray that you would help us, that, O Lord Jesus, answer us when we call, because we come to you in the midst of our troubles, and we ask that you would have mercy upon us, that you would hear our cries and our prayers, that you would deliver us and grant to us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.